I think uh, using the King James Version for our scripture translation is pretty uncommon here at PMC, but I think you will maybe figure out the reason as I start to get into this uh, sermon. Will you pray with me? God, be with us in our thinking and doing, in our speaking and in our very being. Amen. A few weeks ago, in his sermon, Kurt talked about Christmas lovers and those who can barely hold themselves back from pulling out all their holiday music and Christmas decorations as soon as possible. I am one of those people. As soon as we start approaching Thanksgiving, I'm wondering when is too soon to pull out all of my Christmas music and start shifting my surroundings into holiday mode. I love the season of preparation of reflection, of expectation of what is to come. One of my major holiday triggers is Handel's Messiah, the long musical drama written by George Friedrich Handel in 1741. When I was in college at Eastern Mennonite University many years ago, my choir sang through the entire Messiah one fall for a concert, and since then, the words and melodies have been stuck in my mind, in my memory. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Messiah, the words are all passages from the Bible, King James Version. So every year when the Advent season comes around and the lectionary scriptures are read, like our Isaiah passage from today, the music starts playing in my head. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people and every valley shall be exalted. I hear the string introductions and interludes and can even sing some of the parts. These days, I have my grandparents' old record player and I eventually found a recording of the Messiah on vinyl that I've, I have been listening to. The first notes of this put me into the season. They give me the feels of Advent, recalling all kinds of memories of seasons past, the waiting and watching, the darkness and coming light. And as I mentioned, I can hardly listen without singing along. My body is pulled into the, mo mo uh, the movement of singing. I am touching Advent, being drawn into the feel of the season. Advent is in my body. Advent really is a time of preparation. We prepare to receive the child Christ, the impossible birth of God in human form. Love come to earth. The gospel scripture op opens by telling us there is a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, I know this music doesn't work for everyone. Music often has specific cultural influences and embodied experiences tied to it, like my experience of singing in a choir. So I get that this particular musical piece doesn't do the same thing for everyone, but I wonder, what are the different ways that you all prepare for the coming Christ? And why would we need to prepare? And what exactly would be important factors in preparing during the Advent season? As we continue to think about preparing the way, I am especially thinking about how our physical bodies prepare. We are 
physical creatures who touch things to learn about them, and our bodies are such physical things. We feel sensations and emotions and encounter our environment with our bodies. We even hold deep memories in our bodies that are not always apparent to our conscious minds. I think these scriptures give us some ideas about how we can prepare, even in physical ways. The gospel reading today comes from the very beginning of Mark. We are getting the introduction to the whole story of Jesus, the story of the good news. And the description is stark. A voice is crying out in the wilderness. Our entire story of faith begins in the middle of nowhere. But actually, this isn't just any random place. It is the wilderness. This word calls upon the memories of the ancient Israelites. Biblical texts often refer to other texts and stories, like a hyperlink in our modern world, or like in my earlier story, a trigger that recalls all kinds of stories and experiences, pulling us into the thoughts, feelings, and sensations we carry that are connected to these memories. This reference to the wilderness calls us back to our Isaiah passage. In Isaiah, this poem or prophecy of hope was written by the Israelite prophets to the people that had been devastated by their destruction and exile in Babylon. Around five to six hundred years before Christ, the Babylon but the Babylonian Empire took over Israel's territory and forcibly moved many of these people to become captives in Babylon. Yet this passage offers hope that God will restore and save them. This use of the wilderness in Isaiah also recalls an even earlier story, that of the Exodus, one of the most potent wilderness stories in the Bible. After suffering slavery in Egypt, God did save God's people, brought them out of Egypt and to the promised land. But something lay in between those two places, 40 years in the wilderness. Wilderness is a key concept in these stories, a place where God is saving us, a place where we sit in the midst of chaos and the unknown, a place where we must unlearn and relearn a place where we find comfort and trust God even when we cannot see the better future. And this idea of the wilderness is a key part of our Advent story. All of these stories, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite exile in Babylon, and Mark's story of John the Baptist in the wilderness draw us a complex tapestry of story and meaning created over time. It can recall a real place, a feeling of barrenness, the unknown, and the in-between, where we are forced to encounter our core selves and reshape our imaginations toward God. It is in this wilderness that we find John the Baptist, and the story says a voice is crying out to prepare the way, make the paths straight. 
Now, I would expect that preparing the way might be a kind of productive action like getting ready for a party. But this is not what John the Baptist is doing. In fact, he's headed out to the wilderness and he can't even find proper food and clothing for himself. He is off the grid, outside the city and the centers of power. He just seems to gather whatever is around him to use as sustenance. He found a random camel, used its hair for a garment. Someone gave him a piece of leather that he used for a belt. He forages for bugs and honey, which make up most of his diet. I'm not quite sure what's going on with this odd character, although I can imagine a few uh, Portlanders who might strive for this off-the-grid foraging lifestyle. But just as the wilderness imagery takes us back in time and story, this image of John the Baptist also triggers a spiral of memory and feeling. The description of John the Baptist calls to mind the prophets of old, all of whom seemed kind of wacky, spent time outside the centers of power, and ate or did weird things to convey their points. And these prophets of the Old Testament often had a call, a call for change, for people to come back to the ways of God. We can think of Moses, one of the earliest prophets. Moses, who said to the Egyptian pharaoh, let my people go, and led the Israelites out of oppression. Moses, who saved Israel. This same Moses called the people to trust God in the wilderness, when they didn't know or understand what would come next. And even at times they wanted to go back to their oppression because they were so fearful of their unknown and unseen future. We also think of prophets like Elijah and Isaiah that called the Israelite kings, rulers, and people to repentance. These prophets said to Israel, you have become just the thing you despised in Egypt. You have followed other gods. You have oppressed your own people and allowed the rich to become richer and the poor to become poorer. These prophets called Israel to something better. They called the people back to covenant with God, the God who draws us into communities of sharing and caring. These prophets called the people to go against structures that allowed oppression to thrive. They said, repent and turn back to God. The prophet Isaiah also spoke of comfort, of a God who comforts and saves us, a God who carries, cares for us like a shepherd gathering us in God's arms, a shepherd who carries us when we can't walk, a shepherd who feeds us and gently leads us. God, our shepherd, is there to comfort us, even in times of trial and unknown futures. In this spiral of memory and story, John the Baptist brings us the imagery, the sensations, and feeling of all these old stories. God is coming to save us from oppression. We will need to walk through the wilderness and spaces of the unknown. God will call us to repentance, and God will be with us to comfort us 
in our deepest times of distress. We must prepare the way for the coming of God in a new and miraculous way. During the season of Advent, every year, we hear this voice calling us from the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And this tells us year after year to get ready, to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. So I invite you to prepare the way of the Lord with these two melodies that I have been hearing from our scriptures today. And I'll tell you that I really wanted to sing these to you, but it turns out that singing and preaching are a little tricky to mix, so uh, I'll read them to you today, maybe someday. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We do not need to be afraid of the wilderness. In fact, God calls us to these places. We can be honest about our lives, where grief, pain, sin, and brokenness have been present this year. We will be called to liberation, to repentance, and we shall be changed. In the devotional we've been reading at PMC called The Holy in the Night, author Shannon Dykus tells us that we can hold both the bright lights and the darkening nights of Advent together. She calls us into spaces of darkness and wilderness because these are spaces where learning and spiritual growth happen. We do not need to be afraid of the dark and the wilderness, the waiting spaces and the unknowns in our life. In one of the daily readings, she writes about the story of John the Baptist, speaking of how important it is that he shows up in the wilderness. John intentionally distances himself from the centers of power and control. Metaphorically, we often see the wilderness in similar ways to darkness, a place of loneliness and godlessness. But in every wilderness, there is a whole ecosystem of life cycles and growth. She says that the wilderness is a space where change, the most organic and generative, is held. Finding our own spaces of wilderness can be a very physical thing. To find this place of openness and growth we may need to get out of our normal environment. We may need to find places of silence and reflection away from the forces that normally influence or control us. We may need our physical bodies to experience a different setting to bring out natural and healthy growth. Maybe just changing our normal routine can do some of this too. I recently took a few days of retreat I didn't even do anything drastic, just made changes in my space, routine, and activities. This space allowed me time to do some deeper reflection on my life and my own growth and connect with God in a different way. At PMC, there are a few ways we are making space for wilderness. Our Thursday Zoom gathering around Shannon Dykus' devotional book is meant to be a time for silence and reflection. We also have a service on the darkest day of the year, December 21, called the Longest Night Service. 
This service is different than the normal service at PMC. It focuses on darkness and allowing space for all the different feelings of the season. It is a chance to recognize the hard memories and the hard feelings of the year. These spaces of wilderness and silence are important in preparing the way during Advent because they allow us a space that we can be honest about both our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world. These are spaces where we can practice repentance, healing, and change. And again, from Isaiah, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. We also need things that comfort us and help us feel the love of God. So join in the celebrations, find joy in your family and community. In our focus on touch today, one way we can comfort each other is through physical touch, things like hugs. An important side note is that physical touch can also bring the opposite reaction for people who have had negative experiences with touch or experience touch as unwanted. So it is important to work at practicing consent, for instance, asking, would you like a hug or something else? Hugging, with consent, of course, can release the feel-good hormone oxytocin. Oxytocin causes our bodies to feel good, to feel comfort, and to bond with others. Interestingly, singing together in a group can also release oxytocin. For me, the holidays are often full of opportunities to hug family and friends and to sing together. Participating in these things helps me find comfort. At PMC, we have a variety of celebratory and comforting holiday practices. Last week, many of you joined us for the Advent workshop. And this coming Saturday, we're having a holiday hymn sing, gathering together to sing our favorite Advent and Christmas songs. Finding comfort allows us to feel the real goodness of God and begin to understand in real embodied ways what is the good news that we are waiting and hoping for. These two practices of wilderness and comfort can help us look forward and prepare for Christ's coming. Because we know with Isaiah that Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. We hope and look toward the coming of our God, born in the human Jesus that we celebrate on Christmas. We wait for the joy of the coming Christ, for the crooked to be made straight, and the rough places plain. We wait with hope for all to be well. By preparing the way with both wilderness and comfort, we can help ourselves to grow our imaginations and be truly present when God's active love shows up in our lives and in our world.